Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, the HSE's clinical lead for obesity has suggested today that chocolate and sweets could be put behind supermarket counters in plain packaging. Uh, Dr. Donal O'Shea saying the overconsumption of sweet treats is becoming a real issue. Some 37,000 tonnes of chocolate was bought in Ireland last year. And now that was a pandemic year, 2020. But was it really far off the norm? Maybe we indulged a little bit more uh, but than, than we would have done done usually, but but probably not far off what would be considered regular consumption. And, you know, focus being drawn now to the lack of regulation around it. Uh, Don Lachey saying um, that everything that the food and drinks industry said that they would start moving away from, they seem to in actual fact have uh, stepped up at this stage. He says that keeping the sweets out of the home as well, in, you know, maybe in your garage or in your car boot, uh, could help as well. If it's not there in front of you, you're less likely to pick it up. Um, and obviously parents have a role in this as well. You know, parents do understand overconsumption's going on. They want to try and do stuff about it. But what are the practical tips that, that we could possibly use to try and uh, and alleviate tucking in to all of those sweet treats? So we want to have the conversation today about tackling obesity. Do you agree with Dr. Donal O'Shea on this? Childhood obesity in particular getting a lot of attention in recent years. Um, You know, there's alarming statistics around it as a national health concern. One in every five Irish children is now considered to be obese. Now, that's not puppy fat. That's not a little bit overweight. That's not chubby or all of those other softer words that we use. That's actually clinically a diagnosis of clinical obesity. One in five of every every child. More than 300,000 Irish children now considered to be obese. And the figure is estimated to increase by around 10,000 every single year. Now, Ireland has the second highest rate of obesity in the European Union. I could not believe that statistic when we learned it this morning um, among the research team here on the Nile Boylan show. The second highest obesity rate in all of the European Union. More than a quarter of the adult population is classified as being obese. Um, and a survey on weight by Eurostat, that's the EU's statistics agency, found 26% of Irish adults were obese in 2019, well ahead of the EU average of 16%. The only nation that is more obese than us is Malta. Their rate was 28% as opposed to our 26%. So where do you stand on this? Do you think that what Donal O'Shea, Dr. Donal O'Shea, the clinical HSE lead on obesity, is saying today, he's talking about starting a conversation about should we be looking at tougher regulations? We have them for cigarettes. We have them for alcohol. In both of those cases, both of those products has to be uh, concealed from view or in a separate area of the shop. And in the case of cigarettes, also now in plain packaging. Will that work? Would that work for you? Are you that devil who has no intention of actually picking up, you know, a box of sweets uh, when they're doing the weekly shop, but because it's right there beside you, in the supermarket as you're queuing up to the uh, to the aisles is that when you give in to the temptation do you manage to stay away from the biscuits when you're doing the shop and then they get you at the last minute right as you're about to check out happened to me this morning I went in to get a salad I was being virtuous I bought a salad I got a black coffee 
And then when I went to pay, I picked up a packet of minstrels with it. So is there something in this? Will it be a case that if we're less inclined? I mean, it was uh, it was Oscar Wilde who said, I can resist everything except temptation. So are we going to be less inclined to indulge our sweet tooth if it's not there right in front of us? Ed, do you think that plain packaging or having items like big drums of, you know, the roses or the celebrations, <coughs> do you think that that, if they are actually almost segregated in store, that you have to make an effort to go looking for them, that it's ergo going to automatically mean we're not going to buy them and therefore we're going to help ourselves from the point of view of the obesity epidemic that we have? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think if you're going to start looking at what we're putting in our mouths, Let's start with the food. Yes, we can blame the impulse buys, and it is certainly a contributing factor. But though that, that impulse buy was there when I was growing up as a child, but there was no obesity. So let's, let's park that for one moment. There is a thought process that goes on in society, <clears throat> and basically they all think, we can exercise off a bad diet. And we've seen what's going on in society, and it is not possible. Now, this I don't know this guy who was on it and hear what he said, but obviously he now wants to hang the, the low-lying fruit. And I understand that. But if he's trying to hang the, un, uh, the, the low-lying fruit, it's a wee bit like blaming the... Um, you know, blaming little things where the big problem is actually what's in our food. Now, obesity is obviously this guy's expertise. Mm, he's the clinical lead with the HSE for obesity. Oh, okay, okay. So, clinical lead with the HSE. Hello, look at the health budget over the last 20 years. Where has that gone? It's skyrocketed. So it's taken 20 years to come out and say we've got a problem. That, in my eyes, is not looking at this from a realistic tone. And the problem here is the airways are bought by big business because big business owns the airways. And if you constantly hear, I don't know, whatever suite you want to name, on the airways, there's, there's a message there that breaks it down. It's good for you. It's okay. But the fact is, you cannot exercise off a bad diet. Right, but there is also, I mean, you know, there's, it's not just one thing that's causing obesity, either in an individual or in a society. We are now increasingly sedentary. I mean, years ago, people used to get up in the morning. In many cases, they'd have a large fry. That would be considered bad for you nowadays because it's full of fat and salt um, and, and meat, which were consistently being told, meat products, which were consistently being told, lead to a higher incidence of certain cancers like bowel cancer, for example. And then they would have maybe in the middle of the morning, they would have had possibly tea and cake or something sweet. They would have had maybe another big dinner with with more meat involved in it, either at lunchtime or at tea time. And they would have had sweet treats in between. One of the big differences, though, was their lifestyle. It was more active. They didn't maybe have cars. Uh, They were more physically active. Our children certainly were, were walking to school or cycling to school 
school in most cases rather than being dropped off every morning. Um, and, and, and then they, there weren't sedentary activities. We didn't have telly in some cases but even when we did have telly programming was limited you weren't sitting uh, on your arse watching a subscription service or playing on a Playstation or an Xbox so it's not just the cause of what we're eating Okay, okay and you, you bring up some really valid points here and I love it because this really opens up what we should be talking about. Okay, so 40 years ago when they were sweetening products they used a completely different ingredient They didn't use this thing called high fructose corn syrup. And unfortunately, with the excessive use of this fructose, what's actually happening is it's turning off our satiety hormone. And that's that hormone that's secreted by your fat cells and say, Edward, for God's sake, Jesus, stop eating that rubbish. What it's also done, it's made us more insulin resistant, resistant to the effects of insulin. What does that mean? Our insulin levels get higher, higher insulin is in a very small looking at it it's a fat storing hormone it does awful lot of more dreadful things our insulin levels are way too high and i would place all chronic disease including the rise in cancers to the excessive amount of sugar that we are eating now let's come back to the breakfast that you said we get up in the morning we have breakfast well let's be honest about this and I hate to tell the truth, but I'm a very honest individual. The fact is that Kellogg's have owned this space for years. And I would put them at the top of the tree. I call them Kellogg's because that's exactly what they've done to us. Well, now they'll also, in years. their own defence, say that they have reduced things like, for example, sugar. You're not, you know, there are certain amounts of sugar in their product. It's clearly labelled and people in their own uh, pursuit of wanting something even sweeter will often add sugars to things that are already fortified. But, you know, again... Oh, okay, just Carol, like, one again, point on that. Now, what, just one point on this because you've also brought up a very valid point. Okay, so you're saying there's a little bit of sugar here and a little bit of sugar there. I get that. If you have sugar from society, uh, as in in nature, it's attached to fibre, so it's slower release. But remember this, and if if anybody can take anything from a lifestyle pharmacist, and that's what I am, is that the total amount of sugar in your total blood volume in your body, if you're a non-diabetic, is about four and a half grams. Now, let's look at a bowl of cornflakes. A bowl of Gorfix could have anything plus 35 grams up to, depending on the size, up to 70 to 80 grams of sugar. And you think by eating that stuff, you will not become insulin resistant or obese? Well, by God, I'd love to read the science that backs that up. Unbought science. We've got to start looking at this. The fact is that there's sugar in everything. And unless we drop this addiction, this, this, this is a massive problem in society. And chronic disease is huge. So, Ed, your arguments, and you're clearly very knowledgeable on the topic of sugar, your arguments are, are, you know, are, are, are wide-ranging and seem to be quite strongly against the dangers that we have in terms of our sugar consumption and what we're eating. So, in a word, do you firmly believe that what Dr. Donal O'Shea is suggesting here, that we need to have a debate and have a discussion about where these products are placed and how they're packaged 
do you really not think that will have, even if it's some small impact in the fight against this epidemic? Well, yes, it will have a small impact, but he's taken the low-lying fruit. I remember going to give a talk one day to a group of people, and I wanted to explain to them the effects that a can of Coke or a latte that has so much sugar in it, you know, you just couldn't process it. It's unbelievable the lack of education that we've been given. We've always been told that the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Absolute rubbish. A little bit of starvation. (laughs) It will bring you into nutritional ketosis. Mm -hmm. It will help to burn your fat, increase ketones. It is so healthy for you. But the facts are, I have a young lad who's big into exercise and he went to do a marathon and I decided to meet him after the marathon and it's amazing the amount of even thin people that come off a marathon that reach for a can of Coke. And I said to the guy who was organising, it's shocking that these people will go do that run and then they will go and drink something which is so bad for their liver, depletes their magnesium levels so much and does not hydrate them. Mm. I absolutely cannot believe the stupidity in society and we need education here. Well, I was we going to say you can, you can see, you can, you, you can't call people stupid if there aren't actually programmes that will see them educated. Uh, we are talking about obesity and this suggestion today from Dr. Donald O'Keefe uh, that we should be having at least a conversation around things like plain packaging for things like sweets, chocolate, crisps, all of those really high sugar and high calorific items that we see just as we're getting to the checkout. I'm going to continue with that in a second. I just want to bring you just some breaking news that we're getting from uh, Cabinet. As most of you will know, uh, the Cabinet Minister is meeting this morning to discuss the possibility of uh, further measures to combat the fight of COVID-19. What we are hearing now as Cabinet uh, is breaking up is that uh, work from home advice will take effect again from Friday. Senior government figures also apparently a little bit fearful that we may need further restrictions in uh, in the coming weeks and in terms in a change of policy, uh, household contacts of a person with COVID-19 would have to restrict their movements for five days. They'd also have to take three antigen tests as well. Um, obviously, just some some news coming through as the cabinet minister cabinet minister's meeting uh, breaks up today. Um, getting back to the topic that we are talking about and and obesity and this suggestion that we we use plain packaging like we do for cigarettes or segregated areas in the shopping centres like we do for alcohol. Angela, um, how, do you think that this would possibly encourage you to buy less and therefore eat less? Absolutely not. Like, I'm a smoker as well. I'm fat. I'm not obese. I hate that word. I'm fat. Um, but I have now, in the past couple of months, I've lost a stone and a half. I've started to exercise. But changing the packaging will not stop anyone eating chocolate. It's not going to, it's not going to do it. But what about, what, what about, Angela, the scenario that I outlined, and I don't know if you heard me, I went into the shop next to where we work here yeah, in Dublin this morning and I got a salad and I got a black coffee because I was trying to be a little bit good. And then as soon as I got to where I had to pay, it's right beside me. And yeah, I'm thinking, but, okay, no. now, and I had no intention when I went in of purchasing any chocolate and I came out with a packet of sweets. 
because it no, was right I, beside me. Whereas, had I gone in maybe on my way home and I was picking up, I don't know, you know, a potatoes or some meat for dinner or something, I would have had to have gone out of my way in the store and gone into another area to buy a bottle of wine. And so the likelihood of me doing that is very small. Whereas when, if you know, if the bottle of wine was right beside me as I was paying, I'm sure I might throw one of those in as well. Yeah, but the thing is, if you wanted a bottle of wine, if you walk into the store, if you want a bottle of wine, you'll get a bottle of wine. Just because it's next to the stand, is it, is it going to become a thing that when you walk into the store, you have to say, I want this. This is what they should do. So have people at the top and go, I want this, this, this and this. Bring them out to me and I'll pay for them so there's no temptation. But as it stands, as it stands, but as it stands now, Angela, and this is what Donal O'Shea is talking about. He he raised the issue again, specifically because, you know, you go into the supermarkets on the 1st of November. Prior to that, it's full of stuff for Halloween. On the 1st of November, all of the selection boxes are there. The Christmas stocking uh, chocolate treats are there, stacked high to the ceilings with the round circular boxes of roses and heroes and celebrations they're all on special offer and most people going into whether it be Dunn's or Tesco or Little or Aldi or wherever it is that they do their weekly shop had no intention of buying three boxes of roses or a combination of heroes roses and and celebrations until as they're going around with the trolley in front of them there they are stacked high Asher Jesus I'll get a few of those in now for the Christmas and then the next thing you know you've eaten them or they're opened and they're being eaten out of over the course of a couple of days. And then maybe you open the second box and then you go back again and you have to buy more for Christmas. That's what he's talking about. If they but weren't they, permitted to be Sarah, there, you're not going to buy them. So what, are they, so what he's saying is to put them on a specialised, right? Put them down the back of the store on a specialised with plain branding. Great branding is not going to stop somebody eating chocolate. So, you know, it's it's not. But it might, it might, it might, it might, it might, might halt the amount of it that they eat. And I mean, if you're going I to, if you're going to pay so. for petrol, if you're going to pay for petrol, and then you're paying, uh, you know, for your fuel and maybe your newspaper or whatever, and there's the chocolate right in front of you. You, you know, the temptation is right there in front of you. It's very hard to resist. Well, what it should be doing is what they should be doing is promoting because it happened before COVID. And I know um, a few kids in the school that it's all about, like, as that first guy was speaking, um, I can't remember his name. Ed. What's happening, Ed, right? What's happening now is, and nobody can deny this, kids aren't allowed at for fear that they're going to get kidnapped, right? Kids, um, if, if they're having a bad day, sit down in front of the television and their iPads and their phones, right? What's wrong is kids are getting the same amount of weeks or even less, but they're not getting out to work a month. Yeah, but it's not just kids, though, Angela. I mean, it's not just kids. No, it's not just kids, but it's adults as well. But the other thing is, like, I changed my mentality because I did become a type 2 diabetic last year, last November, right? So I changed it, and I would totally promote getting out there, exercising, half an hour a day, an hour a day. But I can tell you, I still like my little bit of chocolate because it's controlled, right? But if I didn't have type 2 diabetes right now, 
change it, putting it down an aisle, changed it anywhere, would not stop anyone that loves chocolate that much or that kind of food. What are you meant to do then? Put all the biscuits down there, all the cakes down there, all. So what's going to happen to your local cafe that you win for your coffee? Are they, like, are they meant to stop selling sweets, stop selling buns, stop selling cakes? Yeah, but they're probably not, Angela, doing the multi-buys and, and, you know, and the big special offers. And, and you have to make the effort, I suppose, to walk into your local cafe to get your coffee. Whereas when you're just doing your weekly shop, it's there right in front of your face. Where are you on this? Do you think it's a good idea to, at the very least, have a debate about things like plain packaging for really high calorie and sugar foods? Or do you think it's more nanny statism? If people want to buy boxes and boxes of sweets and go home and sit and eat them on the couch that's their own lookout 0871880008 is the WhatsApp number to get in touch with the show uh, we're discussing the obesity issue and the suggestion today that for sweets crisps chocolate all of those things that we tend to pick up in our weekly shop or impulse buy when we're either in the petrol station or in the news agents uh, Dr Donal O'Shea who's the lead on obesity in the HSE and runs the obesity clinic uh, for the country he's suggesting Look at plain packaging. Look at the types of approaches that we're taking with products like cigarettes and like alcohol to try and reduce the consumption of those. One very interesting WhatsApp into the programme. I work in the wholesale industry selling soft drinks, sweets, chocolate, etc. Shop owners will regularly ask for the highest sugar and fat content products targeting kids. It's crazy. An example of what happens will be the shop owner or manager asking for the lowest grade and the cheapest products to put on special offer targeting kids specifically on the school run. Jason, you're very welcome to the Nile Boylan show. Are you an, are you an impulse purchaser with things like chocolate and crisps when you get to pay for your petrol or or pay for your newspaper on the way out of the shop? Not really, no, not really, no, no. God bless you, I wish I had your fortitude. <laughs> no um, I, I think it's more so the fatty foods, to be honest with you, like um, burgers, chips, uh, chicken nuggets, all that kind of stuff. You, you know? think that's the main culprit rather than the sweets and the chocolate? Well, the, well, the sweets as well as as, as well, like but um, yeah, most probably more so the burgers and stuff like that because they're all high in fatty foods and stuff like that. I think so. Do you think that things like packaging or a lack of advertising, which we've seen specifically targeted at children, you can't now advertise high sugar foods, even if they're yogurts oh. and cheeses and stuff, you can't yeah. advertise them during children's television programming time. Yeah, Should we yeah. be looking at, at, you know, maybe banning the likes of pizza companies from having ads in and out of the breaks on big soccer matches or rugby games and, and like we discussed with alcohol last week? Yes, no, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's a hard one to call, really, like, you know, like, for, for what I've seen now is, is um, uh, parents still, kids will come home from school, parents will um, uh, probably, you know, like, kids are coming home from school and then they're going back out to activities again, so parents are kind of putting something quick and easy in the oven, um, some chips, maybe chicken nuggets and stuff like that, and they're back out again, or they're coming home from school in general, and they'll pass McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, and the parents are too tired to cook and stuff like that, you know. And so is it just a malaise of modern life or do you think people have just become lazier? I mean, you know, I, I understand, you know, in my mother's generation, there was generally somebody at home who over the course of the day, their role was to do things like prepare nutritious meals from scratch 
convenience foods weren't really very well known or widespread yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. But but is it that we are? You know, I mean, you look at how long it might take to whip up a really healthy, nutritious dinner, like a nice stir fry. You know, we even have microwavable rice now. So if you're having your brown rice with it, you don't have to spend 15 minutes boiling it in a pot. So are we using excuses or is modern life really so busy and rushed and hassled and and desperate that we just genuinely don't have time to take care of ourselves properly? Yeah, a combination of both. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, you have, like, you have two parents coming in, you have two parents walking in, say, and, you know, they're, they're rushing to come home dinner or whatever, like, you know, and they'll be a bit tired and they say, just, yeah, look, we'll grab a pizza from the, the freezer, you know, quick and easy, whatever. They could be going back out again and doing something else. And the combination, yeah, maybe laziness as well. And, you know, people are just, yeah, don't play that, like, you know. And so, but you, and listen, there's no one thing that's causing this. It is, as I said at the outset, a bit of a combination of, of laziness, inactivity, completely oh. different lifestyles to those that our parents and grandparents would have had. But do you think that even small steps like plain packaging when it comes to sweets and chocolate and crisps can have some role in, in at least making a stop and think? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, know, like, like you, go into, you go into Tesco North somewhere like that, right? You go straight in the door. You have fucking tons of shelves of chocolate facing you straight away when you go in the door. Yeah. You know, like all the stuff for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Don Lachey is talking about. You yeah. know, and, 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 and he's sort of making the point and, 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 and making the argument that, you know, if that wasn't there, would we really put it into the trolley? And it's all of the supermarkets and all of the smaller convenience stores as well. You know, even the local corner shop, as, as we would have known it. Debbie, do you see the point that Don Lachey is making here that if we're going to have to do something, that this could be one of the smaller steps that will build towards making a bigger impact? Um, no. Tara, I'm obese. Um, I've been probably on 20 years uh, struggling with my weight. Um, changing packaging on what I know I'm eating will not make a difference to me anyway. Because I know what I'm eating is bad. I know I'm overeating. But I have I have a problem. Mm. And the biggest thing they need to do, and I, know, I don't know if it's going to make sense to anybody except me, is they need to put more money into the mental health system to get to people and get to the, to, to the real base of why people are overeating and eating the wrong things, knowing that they're bad for them. It's, to do, it, it's mostly to do with mental health obesity, has, as far as I'm concerned. And tell me, about your, tell me about your own experience then of, of why you eat, what triggers you to do so? Uh, comfort, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have had um, some struggles in my childhood um, with my mother where she would have, I'd come home from school and she suffered very badly with depression. And if I smelled food in the house, I mm. knew that she was okay that day. Okay. And if I didn't smell food in the house, then I knew this was going to be a bad day. And I think that the, 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 my relationship with food is down to that. Like, I have medical issues that make me put on weight easy and make it hard to lose. Like, I have uh, thyroid disease, I have polycystic ovaries, I'm insulin resistant. But I've been using them, using them as an excuse for 20 years because food brings me comfort. And it, it is, like, I've done loads of therapy and things like that. I just can't seem to, to change my mind. 
I think the majority of it does have to do with mental health. And I think I think it's ridiculous that they're having this meeting, discussing change in packaging. I mean, let's let's do something important. That's not important. What's important is to get to the base of why people are overeating and try and help them to change their minds. I mean, I'm still working on it. I'm, as of now, I'm still fighting to change my mind. I am losing weight at the moment, but I've done this before. I've lost weight and then I've just given up on myself. But I'm still trying to fight this demon. Debbie... It's funny because we actually had this conversation, the production team, we, we actually wanted to talk about this as a topic later in the week um, while while I'm, I'm still covering for Nile and how, in actual fact, overeating is also um, an eating disorder. But it's one that many people don't even know that they have. They don't understand that it is an eating disorder triggered by, as you say, emotional problems yeah. underneath this probably very little difference in terms of it being an addiction as you might form to one to alcohol or one mm. to drugs. Exactly. That's, you're, I think you're dead right. Uh, I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to sugar. Um, there's certain foods that I, I just, I feel like I have to have. And if I don't have those foods, it can really affect my mood in a very bad way. And my family pay for that. They have to listen to me being miserable because food makes me happy. And then also food makes you sad. No, my body makes me sad. And what does that feel like? What, is, what does that feel like to you? This trigger, this end, this cycle of, of eating because... Shame. It just brings shame. And people say, why don't you get out walking on the road? And why don't you do this? But the self-consciousness of somebody who's obese is huge. And just walking on the road... I mean, I'm not the sort of person that cares for people's opinions, but when it comes to my body and my weight, it's huge for me because I agree with them because I don't like my own body. So it's very hard to go walking on the road and and to feel like a big, huge whale, you know, on the road and you think that everybody looking at you is thinking, oh my God, the size of her. And that's why I struggle to exercise outside. And what have you sought in the way of medical help? Have you found doctors um, to be helpful? Is there, you know, is there help there for people who are who are in no, your situation? No, only dietitians. Um, the very like psych- psychological wise, um, I live in Kildare, so there's one um, psychologist for the whole of Kildare in the HSE. That's over children and adults. One. So the likelihood of me getting to see her when I actually need to see her is very, very slim. So all I've been sent to over the years was dietitians. Now, I've seen that many dietitians. I've been on that many diets. I know what I'm eating is wrong or I know what I'm eating is right. I know I'm not I'm not silly. So sending somebody to a dietitian that needs to actually see a psychiatrist or psychologist is a waste of money and a waste of time. They need to put more money into the mental health system. And have you addressed this with the dietitians involved? I mean, have any of them had any experience or knowledge and be able to help you in any way with the emotional side of your No, eating? no. They just talk about the, the food side. And sometimes it is helpful where I'll say, oh God, I didn't know that. But the majority of it is, I know, I know what I'm doing. <clears throat> so, like, I've seen, I've went privately for my own, for my own self-counselling for over a year. And it was helpful, but I still didn't lose weight. I got a lot of insight into why I was overeating. 
but I never got the answer to how I was going to be able to change that. And why do you think that is? In in a way, you're saying it was helpful. It gave you some insights. Yeah. But obviously, it's 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 even more complicated than that. Then obviously, you have a good knowledge, having had so much experience with dietitians over the years, that you know what is right and what is not so good yeah. food to eat. You've gained some insight from seeking private uh, yeah. psychological help and support to understand the condition that you have. Yeah, but why is there can, no? Why are there no the answers insight. there for you? You can you can gain an insight in why you're overeating, but then you also need to understand how you can change that. And I don't. I literally don't know how. And I mean, a counselor, or a therapist can't tell me how. You know, they haven't told me how if they can, but I know it's up to everyone. Says it's up to you if you want to lose weight. It's only down to you. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not able to to deal with that. Do you know if I if somebody was an alcoholic, they would have they could go to AA or they could go to rehab. If somebody is obese, what do they do? They just be told go on a diet. Do you, know? you despair, Debbie, that you'll ever be able to to get help and and to change this and ha- help for your addiction to food and the emotional reasons that underlie it? No, I don't think I ever will. I mean, I, I can keep working on it and working on it. I mean, I've, I've been working on it most of my life. But I I wake up every morning and the first thing I think of is, I'm still fat. I failed yesterday. And that's that's the first thing I think when I wake up. Because I fail myself every day. And if I had the know-how of how to change it, I would definitely do it. I mean, some people say a switch goes off in their head. Well, I don't know, the switch mustn't be in my head. I haven't found it yet. And, uh, you know, with with just eating something, you know, that other people can eat without putting on weight, because of my medical conditions, I put on weight very easy. So, like, I struggle with kind of resentment about that as well. So I feel, I suppose I feel different to everybody else in the room. And have you, Debbie, uh, had any experience or any contact with some of the support groups that I mean, BodyWise, for example, and I'm happy to give out BodyWise number in a moment, deals with people mm-hmm. who who have um, eating disorders. Uh, I, 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 classically, we think of that as being people with bulimia and people with anorexia, but 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 overeating is also a, a genuinely recognised uh, yeah. eating disorder well, as I well. Have, have you spoken disorder. to them, or have you? Uh, uh, there's Overeaters Anonymous. Are there, mm. are, are there support groups that can help you feel? Because I'm telling you now, I'm reading messages that are coming into the programme, Debbie. You're saying, why are you the one who fails? Why are you the only one? You're not. Far from it. We have had a litany of messages here from people who are in very similar situations to you and feel very much the same as you. Yeah, I have been to like, you know, the usual um, diet meetings, you know, get weighed in front of everyone every week and... They'd tell you, oh, you're great, you lost this. Oh, you didn't lose this this week. That was so negative for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that was very negative. Um, it works for a lot of people. I've seen people, they look fantastic, they've lost 10 stone or whatever, and they look great. But for me, you know, it just makes me feel worse about myself. So I haven't contacted anyone like, what was it, body-wise? I've never even heard of that, Okay. to be honest. And I'm in Kildare, and most things are in Dublin or down south. 
One, very hard to. One positive, Debbie, and they're few and far between out of the pandemic is I think that, you know, the, the regional issue maybe isn't as as big as it would have been because a lot of, of things like support groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, went online and had to do so. Um, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your story. And please yeah. let me tell you, you are far from alone based on the messages that we're receiving And as I said, we had had this conversation in the office already this week. It's a topic that we actually want to come back to later on in the week. In the meantime, Debbie and anyone else, let me give you the number for BodyWise. It's 012107906. And I don't know because I haven't spoken to them, but I'm fairly sure that that is for nationwide coverage. It doesn't matter where in the country you may be. Are you like Debbie? Do you also feel you have an addiction to food in the way that we classically recognise them for things like alcohol and drugs? And and what, if anything, has helped you? Oh eight seven one double eight triple zero eight is the WhatsApp number to get in touch with the programme. Barbara, you were listening to Debbie there. Like many of us, I think probably what she had to say struck a chord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm also in Kildare, originally from the north side. We know each other, but we don't. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was overweight for probably most of my 20s and 30s. And I can actually pinpoint the moment or one of the moments, I should say, where I suppose I realized um, that food and drink became my crutch mm-hmm. to cope with life. Um, and I lost the guts of six stone. I've kept it off for over 10 years um, I did lose it with Slimming World and I used to be a Slimming World consultant and although I loved my role what I found was I couldn't go deep enough with yeah. people to actually get to the root of the problem so I went back and studied to become a life coach and study NLP techniques a couple of years ago and that's when I really had that huge aha of it's our self-image we don't like who we are. We don't like who we've become. But we also inherited all, a lot of that because of our family. We're told it's in your genes. I'm sure you just have heavy bones. It's only puppy fat. You're hearing it from the time you're quite young. And without realizing that you subconsciously take that on. And I think that's where it really goes deep then. Or as Debbie outlined, food had an association with her to comfort and care because of her mother's illness. Yeah. And so it's something that, and you hear this again, I'll draw the analogy to classic addictions to alcohol and drugs. You hear that generally speaking, it's not that somebody just sets out and and takes drugs and misuses them largely and becomes addicted to it. It's covering up a hole, an emotional hole. It's burying, yeah, it's burying the emotions because when you start to unpack them, they can be actually even more terrifying than eating the thing that gives you that comfort and then you get caught in that vicious cycle because you in the moment you think oh great I love how this tastes I love how it feels and then you feel guilty then you feel shame and then you just go back into that cycle so it's actually having to break that cycle and you have to go very deep in order to do that and like what Debbie says there isn't enough psychological support and but people don't realize that there is other support out there like, I know you mentioned body-wise. I know for me, it's, I've worked with a coach myself on self-image, and that's what I'm working on now, is helping people see a different side and that they don't have to take on the beliefs and 
things that they were told as a child. And you so know. in the same way that the root cause of the issue probably isn't food, the uh, the way out of it isn't food either, maybe. Is that what you're telling me? It's not, it's, it's food is just, a, it's like it's a byproduct, a side of it, if that makes sense. Because if we don't face the emotions and deal with the, emotion, the emotions, the problem is with food, we need food to live. Yeah. With other addictions, it's not quite the same. Yeah, absolutely. You don't you, know? you, you don't have to have access to alcohol uh, and you can certainly make efforts to stay away from places where there is alcohol yeah. if you are an alcoholic, but you can't stay away from food if you're addicted to food. You have to yeah. eat. And it frustrates me when people say, they're, oh, they're, they must be lazy. But what happens is, if, if you've seen a certain behaviour, you will take up that behaviour subconsciously. It may not even be in your awareness. So then if your family shopped in a certain way, cooked in a certain way, eat in a certain way, that's all you know. So it's not your fault, you know. And a lot of the time what we do is we blame ourselves. We tell ourselves that it is my fault. So that's the way all of the people I know are, you yeah. know. We're always our own worst critics, I think, in, yeah. in absolutely everything we do. So there, Barbara reporting that there is, you know, there is for her, at least there was a way out. It's a fascinating topic. As I said, it was already on our list of items to discuss in terms of food addiction and overeating and the fact that it's probably the unrecognised eating disorder. And we'll, I think, probably come back to this topic because we've had a huge response to it so far. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.